I'll tell you about Ed. Before I, uh, before I did CrossFit, I, uh, I worked out at LA. You know how to tell if somebody does CrossFit? Don't worry about it. They'll tell you. But um, before I did CrossFit, I worked out at LA Fitness, and there was a guy named Ed who, uh, who worked out there. And Ed was a middle-aged man. He's a little bit creepy. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. Ed was a little bit creepy. He would show up every day in the gym in his gym clothes, and he had a towel over his shoulder. And Ed would just kind of walk around the gym and have conversations. Never saw Ed move any weight. Ed just kind of talked to people. In fact, I, I take that back. I did see Ed work out one time, and I saw him work out. And from time to time, he would work out on the leg machine. You know the leg machine that I'm talking about? This leg machine. And Ed, Ed would, Ed would want to talk to you while he was on the leg machine. Let's just go ahead and make a general rule in life that you just don't do that leg machine. Nobody should do that leg machine. And especially don't try to have a conversation. Don't make eye contact with people while you're doing that leg machine. So just... Ed taught me that. But Ed also taught me something else. Ed taught me that showing up, just showing up, <laughs> is not enough. Ed taught me that just showing up at the gym was, was not enough. That if you wanted to make progress, right, you had to move forward. You had to put in effort. You had to do work if you want to make progress. And see, our lives physically, our lives in fitness are like a car on a hill in neutral. There is no park. We're either moving forward or we're moving backwards. Spiritually, what Ed taught me is that we're either, either intentionally increasing or we are either unintentionally decreasing. It's true spiritually. We're either moving forward or we're going back. And I have never been more expectant, hear me on this, I've never been more expectant that as a group of people that we would move forward intentionally toward the heart of God and that God would visit us, that God would invade this campus, that God would invade our lives, that God would move mightily upon us, but, but we can't just show up. <laughs> Learn from Ed. We got to engage. We got to engage. And some of you, you look the part, <laughs> Towel over, well, not a real towel over your shoulder, but you look the part, just like Ed. But between you and God, you know, are you really engaged with Him? And my prayer for you has been for the last 20 days that your heart would engage with the heart of God and that you would be forever changed, that you would be marked by His presence. You don't need another message by another man, you don't need to hear from me. You need an encounter with the living God. That's my prayer for you. I believe God has that for us in these days. If I could go back and talk with Ed, I would just say, Ed, I'd say, why are you here? I, I probably, I'd ask this question, Ed, what do you want? I mean, which is a great question, that question, what do you want? Jesus loved that question. Uh, I'm reading through the Bible in a year, and today, on the reading today, Jesus finds these two blind men, and they're calling out, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus goes up to him, and he's like, so what do you want? Which is kind of an odd question for Jesus. To, I mean, he's the son of God. Wouldn't you think he would know, well, you are blind. You want to be healed. Jesus asked, what do you want? As if they're going to say, Jesus, could you, could you help us hear a little bit better to compensate for our blindness? I mean, we all know what they're going to say. Why did Jesus ask them, what do you want? Because when he asks that question, it gets to the core. It gets to the heart. It gets to the desires. It gets down, down deep where we have to search in and go, what do, what do I really want? And in fact, if, if, if we had some time, or let's just say if Jesus walked into this place and he was before you right now and he said, what do you want? What would you say? If he asked you that question, how would you, how would you respond? 
And see, a lot of times we don't, we don't think about that, but in these days ahead, we're going to be talking about what do you want out of your relationship with God? And what do you want in character, in your inner life? What, what do you want in relationships with others? What do you want as it relates to God's will for you? What do you want? It's a great question. In fact, many of us, we don't think about that question much until January 1 rolls around. And then we do what many other people do. We, we make resolutions. How many of you, just be honest, how many of you have made a resolution this year, made a resolution back in January? Some of you made resolutions not to make resolutions. But some of you yeah, make resolutions, say things that we want to go after. How, how many of you are still going strong on that resolution? How many of you are thinking 2017 is going to be your year? That's what you're thinking. You're looking forward to that. But we make, we make resolutions that we say, these are things that I want. I want to lose five pounds. I want to lose 10 pounds. That's why, the, that's why the Rec and Wellness Center is packed in January because we say, these are the things that I want. Or I want to, I want to you know, maybe it comes down to uh, financial. Man, I, want to, I want to pay off some debt or maybe I want to save some money or maybe, maybe I want to save up a ring, uh, save up money for a ring to take that relationship to the next level. Maybe you're saying, I want him to save up some money to pay for a ring to take our relationship to the next level. They say, I just want a relationship. I just want the girl that I think is my girlfriend to know that she's my girlfriend. She doesn't know. But on Instagram, every time I like a picture, I'm sending messages. She just doesn't know yet. That's what I want. And you, you got, what, 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 do you, what do you want? And sometimes we, we think about spiritually and we come up with like spiritual. We, we, we want to read through the Bible in a year, which I think is a great thing to do. I don't think you should graduate with a Bible degree without reading through the Bible. I don't think you should be a follower of Jesus without reading through the scriptures. He's given us his word. He's given us his truth. Sodom and Gomorrah had no Bible. What's our excuse? We have the word of God. He's given us his word. Man, we say, I want to read through the Bible in a year. That's a great goal. Or you know what? I want to, I want to pray more. I want to, I want to pray more. I want to become more person to prayer. Or you know what? I, here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I, want to, I want to journal more. Has anybody ever said they wanted to journal more? I, I went back looking through some journals and, uh, earlier this year, and I found a journal from 2005. And I opened it up, and January 1 was this deeply insightful, this powerful, spiritually intense journal entry. And I flipped the page, and there was no other journal entries. <laughs> Don't judge me. Jesus didn't journal. Um, so... Um, <laughs> But we all have things that we want. But here's, here's the question. It's not, it's not listen, what, what resolution are you going to keep? Here's what I want to know. What are you going to do when you screw up? What are you going to do when that thing that you want or that thing that you're going after, the changes you want to make, what are you going to do when that doesn't happen? What are you going to do when you sleep in and you missed a workout because you stayed up till 2 a.m. the night before binge watching Netflix and didn't eating a carton of cookie dough ice cream? What are you going to do when, when, when you mess up? What are you going to do when the relationship goes sideways? What are you going to do when you, when you bomb the midterm? What are you going to do when, you, when, you, when you, that habit eats your lunch again? What, what are you going to do then? And I found this verse that's just become just, just core. It's become key for me. It's become one of my favorites. I've got a lot of favorites, but here's one of them. It's in Lamentations. In fact, we'll put it up on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. It says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. I love this verse because it tells me that God's mercies are new every single day. His mercies don't quit. His mercies are brand new every single day. And here's what this verse has come to mean for me. 
And I've internalized it this way, that the way that, that I feel about a new year with its fresh start and its clean slate and its new beginning, the way I feel about a new year, the way you feel about a new year, that's how God feels about each and every day. That God, you don't have to wait until 2017, that you receive new mercies every single day. And then we begin to walk in those new mercies. And, and in this uh, Jeremiah, he says, his love is faithful. It never ends. Which here's what that means. When you mess up on God, he doesn't give up on you. His love is faithful. His, never, his love never quits. His love never gives up. And he loves it. Listen, listen, listen. There's nothing you could do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. He loves you perfectly. He gives a perfect love for imperfect people. In fact, what we need in our brokenness and what we need in, in, our, in our sin, what we need is to have an encounter with that love of God. That's what changes us. And his love gives us value. One of my resolutions for 2017 or 2016 is to help my son stop sleeping with uh, stuffed animals. He's 16. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's six. But... Uh, He's six and he sleeps with this lion. He has this lion thing that he sleeps with. And he's had it ever since he was born. And lion stinks. Lion is, is nasty. Lion's got one eye falling off. He's falling apart. He's, the seams are coming out. He sleeps with lion every single night because he, I don't know, I guess he drools on the But lion smells really funky, really bad. And, and, and we've tried to get the stink out. We just can't. But he takes lion with him when we go on trips. He sleeps with lion every single night. Can't go to sleep without lion. He's six years old. It's going to be really awkward when he starts dating. There's my six-year-old. Bolton, he's the youngest in there. And Bolton, it's his name. And, and, and Bolton, uh, Bolton loves this. In fact, we took Lion with us on vacation. And if we would have left Lion in Florida, we would have had to turn around the car and go back and get him. Why? Because Lion is priceless. Lion's priceless. Why is Lion so valuable? It's because of the love that Bolton gives to Lion. It's not because lion is perfect. It's that Bolton loves lion into. He, loves love, he gives love and loves value into lion. Listen, God loves value into you. In your raggedness, in your messiness, God loves value into you. And Jeremiah tells us, he says, he says, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. I love this because Jeremiah just gets real honest and just says what, we're all, what we all do. He says, I talk to myself. He says, I say to myself. Anybody just want to go ahead and admit you talk to yourself? Just put your hand up. The rest of you lie. Uh, we all, right? We all talk to ourselves. It's something that we all do. And Jeremiah is saying, it's biblical to do this. You can talk to yourself. Have you ever heard of Dr. James Gills? But he was a, he was a, he's a doctor down in Florida, and he's one of the few people on the planet that's done a double triathlon. So what he'll do is he'll do a triathlon, he'll rest 24 hours, do another triathlon. That's serious. He's done it six times in his 50s. And Dr. James Gills, he, 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 they asked him, they said, what's the secret to this? How do you do this? He said, it's easy. He said, I learned the difference between talking to myself and listening to myself. He said, when I listen to myself, the voices say, you're too old, you're too tired, you're too weak, give up. He said, but when I talk to myself, I remind myself my favorite scripture, and I tell myself that you can keep going, and you can finish, and finish strong, and finish the race. It makes a big difference whether you're talking to yourself, whether you're listening to yourself, and what you tell yourself really matters. And Jeremiah says, when I talk to myself, I say, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. 
I'm not placing my hope in the changes I want to make this year. I'm not placing my hope in a relationship with another person. I'm not, I'm not placing my hope in, in how well I do this semester. Praise God. I'm not, I'm not placing my hope in circumstantial things. I'm placing my hope in the one who never changes. I'm placing my hope in the Lord. Jeremy says, I place my hope in him. And I know you've got things that you want this year. I know you've got things, maybe it's relationships, or maybe it's financial, or maybe it's in academics, or maybe it's athletics. I know you've got things that you want, but I want to give you, and the rest of the time we have to get together, I want to give you one thing that I would just commend, I would encourage, that I would ask, that I would say that you consider making this the one thing that you go after this year, the one, one thing that you, that you chase after with the man. To get there, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 28. If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible it's... We look at Genesis chapter 28. We're going to pick up in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, come see me. I'll help you get one. Genesis 28, verse 10. We're going to pick up. Jacob has made a mess of things. He's disappointed pretty much everybody. Disappointed his family. Disappointed his parents. Probably the lowest point in his life. He's deceived his father, he's betrayed his brother, he ended up stealing from his brother, heard his brother was going to kill him, figured it would be a pretty good idea to get out of town. He's on the road, he's taken off, he's out of town. Verse 10, and Jacob leaves Beersheba and set out for Haran, and when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set, and taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, and he lay down to sleep. Now when the Bible says a certain place, it's the Hebrew way of saying just some regular kind of place. Not a whole lot of stuff going on. It's just kind of a, just a, kind of a, a normal kind of place. Imagine Marion before Indiana Wesleyan University. It's kind of a place you have to go out of the way to get to. And he says he, he went to that place, and when he was at that place, he kind of had to go. There were no direct flights into Marion. He kind of had to drive for a while, kind of move for, you had to, you had to move for a while to get to this place. And as he's going along, he just kind of pulls off, and he lays down and goes to sleep. And he's in a rough place in his life. When he lays down, doesn't even have a pillow, takes a, takes a stone and uses it as a pillow. And when he does there, verse 13, it says, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord. He gets this vision of a ladder coming down from heaven and angels descending and ascending on the ladder. And after this vision, the Lord says to him, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God, your father of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. And this is the moment when Jacob discovers the presence of God. Verse 16. And when Jacob awoke from the sleep... He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. In other words, God was here, and I had no idea. What Jacob teaches us and what we learn from him is that it's possible to be in a place and God to be there and not realize it. That we can be so busy and so caught up in our little story that we miss his big story and the narrative that he invites us into and the glorious reality of his presence. We can be so focused in on our little micro-sized life that we miss the vastness and the majesty of his presence right there. And Jacob has this encounter with God and it defines him and it changes him. It marks his life in verse, 
and he makes this vow. He, he goes on, he says, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I may return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. It's a defining moment in his life. Everything changes because he encounters God's presence. Listen, God didn't change Jacob's external situation, but God changed Jacob. In fact, if I could give you the one thing to go after this semester, to go after in this season, it'd be this, to grow in your awareness of the presence of God. Grow in your awareness of the reality of the power and the presence of God. The kingdom of God has come, which means his rule and reign, his power and presence is available to anybody who wants to get in on it. Through the cross, Jesus has opened the heavens and given us the reality of God's presence. Grow in your awareness of the presence of God. So how do you do that? How do you do that? I want to give you three practical things you can do. Three ways in your life you can begin to grow in the awareness of God's presence. The first one is remind yourself what God has said. Remind yourself what God has said. Let me ask a question. Who's the most influential person in your life? You are. You talk to yourself more than anybody else. And we're talking to ourselves all the time. And listen, what you tell yourself matters. You can't afford to have any thought in your mind about you that's not in the mind and heart of God when he thinks about you. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah gave us, I talked to myself, and, and Jacob tells us, and in this scripture it tells us that he had a conversation with God, and God said, verse 15, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. Root yourself in the promises of God. Remind yourself what God has already said. I wonder how, how many times Jacob drew back strength on this truth. And I've taken it down into, into two phrases. I am with you, and I am for you. And I use that as a breathing prayer in my life. When I face a moment where I'm feeling insecure, or I face a difficulty, or I face a challenge, or I've got to walk into a room and have a really hard conversation, I say, I'm with you, I'm for you. And then I internalize it. God is with me, God is for me. God is with me, God is for me. Those are powerful truths. And you know why it's powerful to tell yourself that? Because if you don't tell yourself that and don't talk to yourself that, you'll listen to yourself. And the voice that's going on inside your head will say, I am on my own and I'm all alone. And some of you are living by that script right now. And God wants to remind you of his presence and remind you that he is with you and that he is for you. Remind yourself of that. We need to know we have the Father's face. I took my eight-year-old Durham on a trip to Nicaragua couple months ago and we got down there we're sleeping in this room kind of sleeping situation we both share a bed and man he is kind of all over the place he's like doing gymnastics in his sleep arms hands feet I mean it's just all over pitch black night and 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 I'm, I'm laying there and then I feel a hand on my face and it just starts to feel on my face I said Durham what are you doing he said I wanted to see if you're looking at me When you're in the darkest night, what you want to know is that you have the Father's face. And you have a good, good Father. His face is turned toward you. Remind yourself, God is with me and God is for me. Number two, recognize what God is doing. Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. There's two foundational truths that you need to know. The first one is that God will never leave you nor forsake you. God is always present. Number two is that God is always working. Jesus in John 5, 17 said, the Father is always working and so am I. God is always present and God is always working. Foundational truths. 
And I think one reason that we miss the reality of the presence of God and we don't recognize what God's doing is because we, because we're, we don't expect him to move. I mean, I think it goes back to what A.W. Tozer said. It's the separation between, between the sacred and the secular. He said Christians tend to divide their lives into two categories. And so we've got the sacred, which is Bible study and prayer and, and chapel and church. We've got the sacred. And then we have secular, which is all the other stuff. It's, it's the fitness and it's the academics and it's the athletics and it's, it's, it's the relationships and it's all the other things. But the reality is that when Jesus gave his life on the cross... And he's raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit descended. God tore down that gap between that, that barrier between what is sacred and what is sacred. There is no barrier. All is sacred, which means your work is sacred, which means your relationships is sacred, which means that your, that your social media is sacred. And it means that your academics are sacred and your sports are sacred. And it, it means that all things are sacred. There is no barrier. And I think one reason we miss it is because we only expect God to move in like a, a footprint of a building, maybe at a church in a, in a worship service on the weekend. That's when we expect God. But God's moving all over the place. Listen, your Heavenly Father is not satisfied with weekend custody, weekend visitation. He wants full custody of your heart. He wants you to recognize that He's moving all over the place. And this is where life becomes an adventure because you see God moving. And you join him in what he's doing. He's always working. It's when you go to the grocery store and the person in front of you, they're on food stamps. And so you say, you know, I don't have a whole lot of money, but you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help them. That's when you see this moment to bless somebody else. Or you're, you're, you're up late and you're having a conversation with a friend and you just, you just found out that their mom has cancer. Now you've got a moment for you to enter in and to pray with them. Or maybe things, maybe things aren't going well for, for somebody. You just tell they're really struggling. You take that moment and go, go encourage them in the Lord. Or... or <laughs> Or maybe you look across Baldwin and you see that there's somebody who's sat alone and you've seen them sit alone since you first got here and you're going, you know what, not today. Not Today is not an alone day for them. I'm going to be a friend. And you have this moment where you see what God's doing or, or you order a pizza. I heard two years ago on the radio in Atlanta about you. Indiana Wesleyan, a guy came in and brought a pizza into the chapel and to October 2014. It was on the radio in Atlanta that you took up a collection and like $1,200, $1,600, something, thousand, over $1,000 you gave this guy as a tip. He just thought he was delivering a pizza, but man, and thousands of notes of encouragement changed his life. I went and watched the interview with Change His Life. It's awesome. I'm going to encourage you. It goes outside of here. It's every time we order a pizza. Now, I know you can't pay somebody at the $1,000 tip every time, but, but what can you do? How can you encourage? What is God doing outside the walls of this place? And you have love for God. Recognize his presence and then join him in what he's doing. And then the last thing is remember what God has done. Remember what God's done. Jacob goes and he it says, early the next morning, he took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he said, this place is Bethel. This place is the house of God. You need to stack some stones and remember what God's done. I was running through the park about eight months ago. I'm back home, and I'm heading through the park, and I'm heading up this hill, and I look, and there's this guy walking across. He's walking through the woods, kind of strange, walking through the woods and crossing the trail. And I can tell we're going to, I mean, I'm three miles deep, and I'm like, this is kind of odd. Just This guy's not on the trail. I'm like, we're going to cross paths, and I get up close to him, 
expect an awkward moment, and I realized that it's a friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for eight years. I could tell by the look on his face something was bad wrong, and I said, hey, what's the deal? And he said, man, he said, my mom died three months ago, and I just found out this morning that my wife cheated on me. He said, I'm just out here walking. He says, crazy, I see you. He said, just a little while ago, about a mile back, I'm walking through the woods, and about six deer come around me and surround me, and they're just all standing there. He said, I've been hunting deer my whole life. I've never had them come to me. He said, and I just keep walking, and then I encounter you. And, man, I was just broken. He was broken. You know what? We just we knelt down, and we prayed right there. And after we got done praying, I said, man, we need to stack some rocks. We stacked up some rocks, and we said, God has met us in this place. Let me tell you, God changed my friend, not because he changed the circumstances, but because he changed the inside of my friend. He had an encounter with the presence of God. I saw my friend the other day. He pulled out his phone, and he showed me his lock screen, and he had a picture of those stones. He said, I look at this, and I remember we met with God that day. I've got a picture that sits on my desk. I want to show you this. This is from... 2000, when I was about your age, and I was at a worship gathering, and it was there in that place that God called me to ministry, called me to leave family business, lucrative career in that, and to step out and to become a student pastor. And I've got that picture because I need that picture, that reminder of what God has called. Listen, I want to encourage you. Remember what God's done. So remember back, remember when you first trusted him. Remember how you loved him. Remember how you said, I'll do whatever you want, God. Remember that place of surrender. Remember your baptism. Remember when you went public with your faith. Remember when you used to weep for people who were far from God. Remember, remember when you do anything, no matter what people thought. You didn't care what people thought. You only cared about what God thought. Remember when you would sacrifice. Remember when you would give whatever, whatever. It was not your possession. you get out your wallet. You would help somebody else. Remember when you would give your last penny to help somebody else. Remember how you say, God, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything. Remember back. Because when you remember well, what was once real becomes real again. Jacob loaded up his family. This is in Genesis 35. He loads up his family and he takes his family on a road trip. And they go go to um, this place called Bethel. And he gets out of the car. He wasn't in a car. But he gets off the camel or the horse or whatever he was home. But he gets out and he starts walking. And he goes over in this field, and then he kneels down, and he starts taking these rocks and stacking these rocks up. And his kids come, come around him. And like, Dad, what are you doing? He's like, this is the house of God. Like, what are you talking about, Dad? These are rocks. This is not the house. These are rocks. He's like, no, these aren't just rocks. He said, because it was at this place that I had an encounter with God. This place. I was a deceiver. I was a liar. I was a cheat. I'd ruined all my relationships, strained everything. And God met me on this place, on this ground, and changed my life. And now he restored things with your uncle Esau, and he restored things in my life. He made me a different man. He changed my life, but it goes back to this place. And one day, years from now, you'll load up a minivan, and you'll bring all your 10 kids, or four, or three, or two, or one, and you'll bring all of them, and you'll be driving up this road, and you'll come up to a place called Marion, and you'll go up to a campus of Indiana Wesleyan. And don't let it be that you just say, this is where I got my degree. This is where I got that piece of paper that, that sits on the off, in the office at the house. Tell those kids that this is the place where you encountered God and he changed your life and he marked your life and you're no longer the same person you were before. But if you want that, you've got to want it. And some of you just got to get honest with God. You just got to say, you know what? I don't want it. But an honest prayer would be, God, I want to want it. 
God, would you help me want to want it? And then over the next three days, you show up. Show up every gathering. I don't make commission on who, there's not, the, the purpose is, it's not me. It's not you being here for me. It's us being here for God and encounter him. Show up for every gathering. Seek after him. Seek after his heart. He changes us as we encounter his presence. And don't show up like Ed. Engage. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me when you seek with all your heart. If you want me, if you really want me, you can have me. And I think what God's telling us over these three days is you can have as much of me as you want. You can have as much of me as you want. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good father. And you do not withhold yourself from those who want you. You reveal yourself and you give us encounters with you. And God, we don't deserve the encounters. It's not by how good we've been. It's not by our righteous deeds. It's not by our merit. It's by the cross. And we thank you. We thank you that you have opened it up for us to be made right with you, for us to live in fellowship with you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would visit our lives and that you would reside in us and that there would be a visitation to this campus and that you would fill each one of us, God, that we would be revived and that this campus would know revival. And it's each one of us saying, God, we want you. We want you. So may we show up. May we seek you. And may we be forever changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you tonight.